Welcome to a Come Follow Me podcast with Brother Anderson and Brother Mickelson, just two church educators who love the gospel and love teaching it. We are different from other Come Follow Me podcasts in that we're going to take it from a teaching perspective. Each week we will brainstorm together possible approaches and ideas for teaching like we're a big podcast faculty. This is not an official production of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we are really big fans. And here's the podcast. Oh! Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah, it's just the last day of the try, and I didn't realize how many parents feel they call and contacting and, oh, the excuse and absences and all the stuff, which is fine. Yeah. Well, I, um, the sisters are like, we've got this investigator, and we're doing Bible studies with her in Genesis. She has a lot of questions. I was like, well, yeah, I'd be happy to join you. So I join, and... (laughs) They're reading the story of Tamar. <laughs> like, we get there, and it's like, you know, it's talking about Judas telling the younger brother, you need to marry your your brother's widow and uh, raise seed up into your brother. But he didn't want to, so he spilled it on the ground. And they go, what is that? And I'm like, this is a rated R story, sisters. I got to go record <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> anyway, so now I'm ready. <laughs> I love to be the missionary. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just have no idea what they still And I even made a joke. I said, you guys don't remember this lesson from seminary? They're like, I think we might have skimmed over this part. <laughs> <laughs> you for sure did, I promise. <laughs> yeah. I promise. Uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> all right. We got to get right to it, yeah? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you said. I don't know. I got all day. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've got two basically two things that were on my mind as I was on my run this morning. Um, one is uh, about this past week, and one is about the coming week. So we'll just we can be efficient about it. But if I can start, you cool with that? Yeah, starting? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your show. Starting. It's your show. That's our show. It's the anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. so. <clears throat> So, uh, okay, so here's an observation, and I don't know how to feel about this, but I asked the, uh, my young single adults last night if they could name the 11 gospel topics essays, mm-hmm. and they could name about five of them. Pretty good. Which, it's like knowing them like the I back guess. of one hand. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like knowing them like the back of two fingers. <laughs> I got more disheartened when I got with my pathway class, which is full of 65, 70-year-olds. And they could barely do two yeah, of them. Yeah. I had some of them that said, I didn't even know these existed. Do you think Which that's maybe... because there's the may, phone? Uh, do you think it's because, A, sometimes older members of the church are like, I'm settled in. I don't, I don't, I don't care. And others have heard in their mind, heard that it's those gospel topic essays are uh, controversial. Don't trust them or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, and, and yeah, so. I, I do wonder. I do wonder if the older generation just didn't grow up facing down things like the the next generation did. But boy, when I asked my kids this morning, at least my fourteen year old, he got ten of the eleven without much help, yeah. and then the eleventh one, I gave him some hints, and he got it. So, like, I don't know. But anyway, that was an interesting observation. I wasn't expecting to do. But I asked them then, what if if the church were to write more gospel topics essays, what would you want to see? 
And again, the, there was a, di- a, a difference between the two crowds. My young single adult crowd wanted, like one of them said, I would love a gospel topic essay on how we're supposed to think about politics and being conservative or progressive mm, in the gospel. Mm. I was like, ooh, I'd read that. Yeah. That'd be a good one. I don't know who you'd get to write it. but you know. <laughs> yeah. um, Another one said, you know, I would love to just have something that kind of told us what we know and don't know about homosexuality, about, um, about gender you know, issues and things like that. Uh, so one of my other students said, I would love a, an essay that just helped us understand the humanity of prophets, you know, what they know, what they don't know, yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah. And you can tell she's, it's because I've been talking a lot about that one. When, when I asked my older crowd, uh, one of them wanted to, a gospel topic essay on translated beings, on like the three Nephites and John. Mm-hmm. One of them wanted to know, she, she didn't even like pose it as an essay. She said, I just want to know why we can't pierce the veil. <laughs> I was like, well, there's all kinds of assumptions <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> um, Can you imagine but, being but the, I, the, the person that the brethren come to and say, just write something on why we can't pierce the veil? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and the idea that came to me was you should write your own gospel topic essay. You know, do what do what Oliver Cowdery did was told to do in section eighteen. Rely on the scriptures. Yeah. See what God's already manifested and write your own yeah. essay and, and see if there's any. You know, I did that, that with know. sanctification and justification years ago. Just That's I cool, was just con- yeah. a little confused by the two and, and I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go see what the scriptures say, I'm gonna see what Elder Christofferson and a few other writers have said and just try to make a document that right I can essay. refer to when I need to. Yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah. And I, yeah, I bet it was super like beneficial. And so I, I did do that, though, when I was talking to Elder Jensen this week. He said he wished there was one on the one true church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, I, I, boy, that, that got on my mind. I thought, what would that even look like? What would we talk about? And then with Come Follow Me this week being sections 20, 21, and 22, it just seemed more and more relevant. Last night as I was preparing, you know, yesterday as I was preparing my lesson. And so I decided to kind of take the students through it. And um, we, I, I took them to First Nephi fourteen ten, which says there are saved two churches only, and to Doctrine and Covenants one thirty that says the only true and living church upon the face of the earth with which I the Lord am well pleased. And I said, let's make a list of potentially problematic assumptions from these two verses, which didn't take us long to do. You know, yeah. um, you know, if there's there's only two churches, and if you don't, the the Church of the Lamb is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. That's one assumption. If you don't belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, you must belong to the Church of the Devil. Would be another assumption. Yeah. Um, if if uh, you, the Church uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is the only true and living church on the face of the earth, that means all other churches are false and dead, which would be the opposite right. of true and living. Which would be another assumption. And the only church God's well pleased. You know, and so I said. So, I mean, that is, that does seem to be what those scriptures are saying. Is there any other possible way we can look at these? Because your guys' basic observation has told you that that can't be true. Um, You know, and we talked a little bit about people they know from other faiths that aren't dead uh, spiritually, uh, you know, who who do have truth. And what do we do with that kind of stuff? So, So I took them to section 10, and this is kind of Terrell and Fiona Givens stuff from Crucible of Doubt, they, they talk about section 10, and this is a part of the revelation we skip usually, but it talks about the church um, that God has established before the church of Jesus Christ was even restored. It's a year earlier. 
And, and so I took them, I'm not going to take the podcasters through it, but took them through verses 52 through 67. I actually had them kind of go over it and see what is God talking about and how does this work and does this help balance anything at all? And so basically our conversation, though, last night was that, that there, to belong to the church of the Lamb, basically section 10 says, all those who repent and come unto me are of my church. And that's, that's it. That's what the Lord says in 1829 those who repent and come unto me. So basically anybody who's trying and anybody who's seeking God is belongs to the church of the lamb. If we're going to use the strict archetype of section of first Nephi 14, that there's only two churches Mm -hmm. only anybody who's trying to change and come into God, that could be a Muslim. That could be a Jew. That could be a Buddhist. That could be a, you know, a Catholic that could be a Protestant of some sort. There are people of all faiths who are trying to change and constantly seek God. At, at the same time, there's even members of our church. The next verse says, and those that will harden their hearts, choose not to obey me or do wickedness and build up the kingdom of the devil are not of my church. There's members of our church who do those sure, things, you know. Sure. Anyway, so then I said, okay, but now what are some problematic assumptions with this? And then they're like, oh, that it doesn't matter what church you belong to or you can do whatever you want. I said, yeah, so we got to balance that. So we went to section 22, which I thought actually was a very, um, as we read it together, and all I said was, you tell me what you just heard. It's so plain to see, no, God does have a straight gate, yeah. a very narrow path. And you do need to enter the new and everlasting covenant. And, and so, I, so then I just asked the students, tell me then what, wh- from everything we've talked about today, just put it in one sentence, which was really hard for them to do. And uh, hats off to a missionary who took a stab at it. Um, but I love how the Givens has said it, that the... Um, for Joseph Smith, the church of Jesus Christ was the portal of salvation, but it wasn't the reservoir of the righteous, mm-hmm. which, you yeah. know, I think is a good yeah. balancing thing. Anyway, so that was, I thought that was good, kind of, to try to help them understand in a very nuanced way, what are the scriptures saying, what are they not saying, yeah. but that was our experience. No, I like that. Do you have anything from your, from your week uh, of study? Yeah, not a ton. I will say that in DNC 21, we just really... Well, let me go back on quickly in DNC 20. We talked, we, we organized, we just organized the, the section, and that was a good way yeah. to practice doing something that's useful. So we, you know, we organized uh, in... By the amens? No, we did two ways. We did two ways. The, that was the second way. The first way we did it was just, by the way, like Stephen Harper does it, just, you know, the, yeah. I can't remember what the verses are, but these verses are this, those verses are that, and then these verses are all that. And then we kind of and you got that from you got that from Doctrine and Covenant Central. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it, Stephen it, Harper has a little excerpt for each section. Yeah, and it was for those who didn't it was know. actually quite nice to just it gives you enough context to study better. I don't know. And then I went, we went back yeah. and relooked at the amens and did it that way just to see what changed, and that was nice. DNC twenty one. We surprisingly spent a lot of time on the phrase "There shall yeah. be a record kept among you" and. They come up on par, which you and I have talked about, with this Murder Among the Mormons on Netflix. The students kind of asking, what the heck is that? And it morphed into a conversation about the fact that we wouldn't know much about that if we didn't have a church historical department. Like, all, right. all we would know is what the news portrayed, which is not a bad have thing you, to know. But Have you watched uh, it? Because you have Netflix. No, I have not. So when, when you listen to that All In podcast with Richard Turley... Uh-huh. 
um, he was interviewed for it, and it was uh, it was the Hess brother, brother Jensen told me it was the Hess guy, the one that did Napoleon Dynamite. Mm-hmm. He's the one that produced this Netflix documentary. Oh. So it's not a it's not an attack on the church. It really is just trying to understand it, you know. And Richard Turley's is, is uh, interviewed extensively. In yeah, it, so. there's an according to a number of reports, and again, I haven't seen it, but the, the documentary it makes it sound like the church really tried to was constantly trying to hide the Hoffman documents. And the historians on Twitter have said, that just doesn't seem to be the case. That, that, that never was really the case, that, that, according to any historians. So, I, you know, whatever, I don't know. I, I, may, I may need to try to watch it this weekend um, just because you, we don't have to guess. Richard Turley was involved, yeah. you know, yeah. so we don't have to guess. We can just ask him. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, yeah, you spend a lot of time so, on Thou Shalt so, Keep a History. And we talked about the, the role. One thing the Church History Department does is stores data and records so that we can analyze that stuff in the future. And we just morphed into the idea, are we doing a similar thing with family search and with journals? Um, yeah. That's it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And then some great conversations about following prophets. And we talked about that phrase following prophets. And we talked about the idea of how would a cult take that phrase and how would the Lord's church take that phrase. And when we say follow the prophet, we don't mean cult-like. We just do whatever he says without any questions, without any thinking. And so I said to the kids, "It, it, it tastes better to me to say we follow the counsel and teachings and testimony of prophets. Now, I'm fine with someone saying we follow the prophet. I, it's fine. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Um, but it makes more sense in my mind to talk about the idea that we follow the teachings and the counsel of prophets, and we do it in all patience and faith, and we talked a little bit about what those words right. can entail. Yeah, I mean, I think that phrase, in all patience and faith, dictates some sort of homework on our part. It's an unlocking of of what the Lord may really require of someone who wants to sustain prophets. He's not saying, he's not saying blindly, blindly just no. He's saying, no, you guys got to work. You're going to earn it. I'm using mortals as prophets for a reason. It requires something out of you, you know? Yeah. And there's some growth. And, you know, I, um, as I was looking at section 21 a little closer to this week, you know, I've always used it to mean Joseph Smith and or, you know, the prophet today. But I do actually think we could take 21 literally as being the Lord means specifically Joseph Smith, that even today, 100 and, you know, what, 50 mm-hmm. years later, we are supposed to still take what the Lord said to Joseph Smith as if from his own mouth. And, you know, that that uh, legacy is under attack by, you know, people people want to undermine the, the, the prophet, the revelator. Yeah. And, and by doing that, they can undermine the truth claims of the church. But the church has gone through, they've spent a lot of money to put every single paper they can find that it has to do with Joseph Smith online, yeah. completely open for scrutiny and study. And um, the Joseph Smith Papers Project is, is pretty incredible. In fact, one of the things, I don't remember if I told you this, but when, uh, when they first published the, that first volume, and it was like, what, 80 bucks or yeah, whatever yeah. it was, some ridiculous amount, and Deseret Books sold 60000 um, Elder Jensen said, Deseret Book was ready to sign a, contact, a contract with us. Like, holy moly, we're going to make a ton of money at this. It was President Packer who came to the church historian's office and said, what are we doing? We're not, the, every saint does not need uh, An $80 book, yeah. library. Yeah, and they're going to do like 12, what are, what are they up to, 12, 13 yeah, volumes yeah. now at this point? He says, we're not going to do this. And, and Elder Jensen said, that really slowed our role. So we, 
you know, we, we decided to shift strategy, and that's why it's now just all available to us online. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I was like, well, I thank President Packer for that because I remember when Kent Black first bought one, and I thought, with my young little family, there's no way I can afford yeah. these, but I would sure love to study yeah. them, you know. Anyway. All right, let's move to next week. This coming Next week. So the word, this is the word for the week for me, I think. Resilience. And I think it comes from our conversations we've had this week about, you know, people who have unmet expectations. And really, you have, um, you have two choices when that happens. You can either have faith in Jesus Christ and be humble and keep working, get back to work and try to observe and recognize what, you know, what opportunities God is giving you. And, or you can seek to blame people yeah. and, or, or blame yourself, be, get the victim mentality, get bitter um, shut down, give up, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we talked about this in terms of, you know, policies that the church puts out there. And we've talked about this in terms of individual young single adults that you and I've had a chance to work Mm -hmm. with. And resilience really does seem to be kind of an important attribute. One of the things Stephen Harper said about Joseph Smith is he said, I don't love everything Joseph Smith did or said, because sometimes he did and said things in a super unpolished kind of sometimes embarrassing way or whatever. He says, but I believe God called Joseph Smith because that man would not give up. He was totally resilient. Remember when he said something about if I was buried in the deepest pit of Nova Scotia and the entire Rocky Mountains were buried, don't ever get discouraged. He goes, that's Joseph Smith. He just, you could not keep him down. He just kept getting back up. And so when I look at like sections 23 through 26, this is during a period immediately after the church is organized where there's some intense persecutions. Joseph's getting arrested. Uh, mobs are tearing down their dams. They're throwing rocks at him during baptismal services. Emma Smith's uh, confirmation is disrupted, and she has to wait a month before she can be, you know, before she can be confirmed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you see these verses, like in 24 verse 8, where the Lord says, be patient in affliction. You're going to have many. You've got to be willing to handle this. And, and to Emma Smith, murmur not because of the things you weren't able to to see my, my kids asked me that when we were talking about Mary Whitmer being able to see the plates, one of my, I think it was Jack said, so did Emma get to see the plates? And I said, no, she didn't. And, and Haken was incredulous. Why did Mary Whitmer get to, and not Emma Smith? I was like, that's a good question. Yeah. I, I don't know, but, but here the Lord is saying to her, don't, don't get all victim mentality about this. Don't let this like throw don't let you this off of the derail path. you. Yeah. Yeah, you, you. This didn't meet you, you. Maybe what you hoped would happen didn't happen for you, but that's okay. I've got other things for you, Emma. Stick with me, and, and here's your assignment from section twenty-five. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's the word. I don't know how I'm going to fully develop it, but resilience. Seems well, I don't to be either, relevant. but I know I'm going to use Angela Duckworth somehow because I'm always looking for an excuse yeah, to grit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in section twenty-three, uh, this is a good opportunity again to break a section up. Right. Let, yeah. Let's look at the different names. You know, just to teach kids how to kind of organize a section. I do. Originally, they were all broken up. Yeah. Those yeah. are five different revelations. I you know. love the idea. I just love in verse one this idea of being aware, you know, beware of pride because there's an attachment between pride and entering into temptation, not being tempted, mm. entering into the temptation, inviting pride the temptation. Pride leads you to end temptation. Yeah. yeah. So and, it, it'll and, be and even the best among us, Oliver, we know eight years from now, will be led into temptation yeah. through his pride. Yeah. He'll leave the church. So this is a great chance to give the kids a one day homework assignment, a one day mm. or whatever, you know, however early morning teachers are meeting or whatever, but just say, what, how, what, how can we practice 
being, you know, beware, being aware or whatever word of prayer? How do, how can we notice it better so that we can, I, I, so I want to, I want to do some practicing. I think that'll be Mm. a good one to practice. Um, It wouldn't be a bad idea to analyze the last time you were in an argument with a parent. What was, what was your pride? What was the role of your pride? And just analyze it, you know. Or even like, um, you know, you obviously wouldn't want them to share this, but when was a time you entered into temptation? Can you reverse engineer it to the pride that led yeah. you into that temptation? Yeah. So anyway, I'll do a little bit with that. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of want to go over these these guys and make sure the kids, again, know, because I'll be starting a new term. So, um, Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, I do, again, in, in section 24, I have lifted thee up out of thine afflictions. But again, there's some nuance and some balance. So are we just supposed to wait for God to make things better for us? What does that mean? Because he says, I've lifted thee up out of thine afflictions and have counseled thee that thou hast been delivered. So it's almost like the Lord saying, I've delivered you out of my afflictions by giving you some ideas of some stuff to do. That, that's mm. partly how I, I'm not just going to make your heart feel better. Um, That's verse 1, yeah. by the way, everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 24. DNC section 24, verse 1. Um, you know, anyway, it's just some good conversations about how the Savior helps us. And, you know, Come Follow Me has some great stuff in there about about that one. But then, like you say, be patient in afflictions. It, as though to say, just because you don't like this affliction and you're asking for some help doesn't mean it's going away. Because what are some of the reasons why the Lord, you know, a great question for a youth to analyze is why would the Lord allow you to go through an affliction a little longer than you wanted to go through it? And just all the growth, you know, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's, who's a senior, you know, played softball, played softball, played softball forever, played on the high school team, and then didn't make the team her senior year. And it's been, you know, I don't, devastating may not be the right word, but very sad, very tender and just kind of a tough thing. So she and I were kind of laying there on my bed yesterday talking about it. I said, can you think of anything from your patriarchal blessing that gives you any insights? And just instantly, there was a, instantly there was a uh, line from her patriarchal blessing that talks about how to view afflictions that she just rattled up. Now, she just got her patriarchal blessing, you know, not, not that many months ago. It was, it was during... Yeah, I remember. You know, yeah. it, was, it was interesting that one of the lines she does remember quite easily is when the Lord is helping her to frame afflictions a certain way. And man, does the Lord do that in the scriptures so many, he does it with Job. He does, you know what I mean? It's, it seems to be yeah. almost a, a major theme of scripture is how to frame trials and afflictions rather than just, you know, anyway. Rather than just, uh, like sometimes we read endure to the end as being find your home. I just got to bite down tight. on the stick and hope yeah. No, you yep. can do stuff. Yep. There's and some there, the, we're we're on earth to act and not to be acted upon and section 24 is full of actions. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, you're going to have lots of afflictions. They're coming." Okay, anyway, here's your things you need yeah. to do, you know. There's plenty to get to, to get done. I do love how in section 25 back to Emma and it, and it, it, I'd be glad we have a little bit of time if you could share kind of how you've taught section 25 in a way that's meaningful. Um but this idea in verse uh, 14, continue in the spirit of meekness and beware of pride. Um, you know, again, maybe that, that piggybacks off of the one-day homework assignment you're going to do earlier. 
Um, but there is something about meekness um, as an antidote to pride. And it was uh, one of my colleagues who said that he realized that the reason why meekness is not weakness is because in order for somebody to have meekness, they actually have to have potential to do harm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You, you can't actually be meek unless you're in a position of power to do harm and choose not to. That's what meekness yeah. is. Um, and, and unfortunately, we learned from sad experience that most of us, when we get a little bit of power, exercise unrighteous <laughs> dominion with that yeah. power. Um, and, that, and so that, that seems to be a, a, a constant you know, uh, test of our, of our pride, our meekness, is, is when we have power. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot for 25 quite yet. I do want to talk a little bit about women's roles in the church. I mean, this is a pretty decent time to do that, you know. Better do that. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, How are you doing? uh, I I missed something I I was supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, But hey, these people on our podcast, all four of our listeners are worth it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I want, you know, we'll talk about the role of women. I don't know exactly where we'll go with that. I know there was, a, I know there's been some incredible stuff from Sister Bingham and Sister Jones and, and, and things recently. Um, in fact, there was a Facebook post from Sister Bingham or Sister somebody about her voice in the leading councils of the church, which I just, anyway, I like, oh. uh, yeah, just re, just yesterday. Yeah, this this might be a good time, too, to talk about that change that happened in the last couple of years with the, the, the women leaders joining the executive councils. Yeah. Um, maybe a good time to bring up the gospel topic essay on Joseph Smith's teaching. I, I know you got uh, the Relief Society coming up in, mm-hmm. the, in the fall, but we probably can't talk too little about uh, helping everybody understand. Because, I, I mean, Joseph uses even priesthood language here. He talks about you are ordained in verse 7. Yeah. And I know they used ordained and set apart, loosey-goosey, but I have no problem with what President Oak said in 2014, that what other power could it be but priesthood yeah. power? Yeah. That's It's priesthood authority that women are given to do priesthood assignments. And so, I don't know, I think we could we could probably never talk too little about that to help get that in the heads. Yeah, and one thing, and this is a total side note, but one thing I've really actively done this year, uh, maybe more than ever, is quote from the sister leaders of our church way more than ever. They just teach such powerful things, and I want the students to just be equally excited to hear from anybody who's speaking in conference. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. I love Elder Holland, but man... If you if you are not stoked about Sister Bingham speaking, it's because you have not listened. Or Sister Eubanks. Or Sister Eubanks. My yeah. gosh, it's because you haven't been listening, you know. <laughs> They're yeah. incredible. Um, yeah. And then there are some, again, some real inspired one-liners, this idea of laying aside the things of the world, seeking for things of a better, and lifting up your heart and rejoicing and cleaving to covenants. Man, I love the idea of cleaving to covenants, that as you are, yeah. you know, as you're making decisions, as you're going through high school, and you're to a point where, like, I gosh, I just don't know what to do. This is our situation. Which one of the choices will lo- allow you to cleave to your covenants? That's always going to be the right way to go, you know? Hmm. Whatever that looks that, like. That would solve so many problems for people. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. I think that's really good stuff. And I don't have anything for 26 yet. Yeah. Well, I'm at 27 minutes. You said you had 28. So as far as I'm concerned, we're right on time. We nailed right? We helped a lot we of people it. today. <laughs> well, thanks for making it accommodated. That was a crazy day for you. No, so you know me, man. I'm here. I'm. I work for you. 
You know, you are faithful, Brian. Yeah. Wait, what does he say? You are there, I'm the, faithful, I'm the ever, higher Brian. <laughs> I am. I think that was a, a letter to Emma. I am, as always, your faithful servant. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it. All right, cool, man. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of uh, Come Follow Me podcast. If you have any suggestions or comments or ideas or questions, please drop us a line at a comefollowmepodcast.com. Have a great week, everybody.